0: Hey team, it's Steady State Podcast. Your rowing fix, where the water's always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. It's
1: Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan. Sit ready.
0: Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Olympian Akeel Abdullah and Olympic hopeful John O'Bries. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen and subscribe anytime at studystatenetworkcom slash podcast or on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there,
1: we'd love it. If you left us a review, it helps us reach new listeners and grow the show. Tara and I are just two rower entrepreneurs making it happen. Your support enables us to continue creating the content that you enjoy so much. Become a patron at SteadyStateNetwork.com Patreon. Thanks to our newest patron, Nick Fradkin of Seattle, Washington. So, hey, Rachel, what's up next on our schedule? Oh, man. Well, we keep talking about how much we miss morning practices. We also really miss our post-practice coffee with teammates. So we invite you to grab your favorite mug and let's compare training notes, gripe about how much we miss big boats, wax poetic about sunrise rows, and anything else that you want to talk about. You can join us Fridays at 9 Pacific, noon Eastern on Facebook Live.
0: Here at Study State Network, we are really interested in backstories. We're curious about what makes people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. On this week's episode, we're talking with Daniela Nakaslova, the author of Women's Voices in Rowing, a new book featuring empowering stories of 14 unique women from around the globe fighting her own battles and living her ups and downs in the rowing world. We're also joined today by two of those women, Michelle Carpenter, CEO of Rowing Ireland, who's been named three times to the Women of Influence on Irish Sport list, and Judy Gear, two-time Olympian and part of the owner-operator family at Concept2 and Craftsbury Outdoor Center in Vermont.
1: Hi
2: Daniela. Hi, Michelle. Hey Tara, how are you? Hi guys.
0: Hello. Hello. Good to see you. Nice to see you. And all of you. Hi, Judy. How's Vermont? It's very gray. And you have a you have a coworker behind you. I do. My husband
3: is in the background. Hi, <laughs> Dick. Hi, Dick. He says hi.
2: So myself <laughs> and my husband, who won't hear me because he's earphones in. we we have this cabin in the garden, so we're working from the cabin. So and then I have here
4: my partner
2: Dave.
4: Like, hello.
2: Hello. I see that's your gym
0: too. So you can see your erg Only back there.
4: Yeah. yeah. Then this is the cardio room. Yeah. This is the office. You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You got the model E. E.
0: Nice. (laughs) Of course, I have to ask you uh, which model concept two you have.
3: (laughs) Uh, Actually, right now, what we have up here for pandemic is a model E. It's an old, a very old model E. (laughs) I just bought four
0: model E's. All right.
3: Awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're, they're our favorite. I do uh, para-rowing, adaptive rowing. So they're our favorite.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's been an interesting few months for everyone. I'm assuming things are bananas at Concept2 because everybody wants to buy a machine right now. Rachel um, just got off the wait list. I did. I just got mine. Um, <laughs> Yay. And Yay. it's just, it's been this funny, you know, for months, friends saying and teammates, I got mine. I got mine. I finally got mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: It's been bananas, um, yeah. people people really want ERGs and we had to totally shut down for six months, uh, six weeks, sorry, back in yeah. March, which yeah. set us way back and we have not yet caught up. So yeah. we're doing the best we can. I'm happy to hear you got yours.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's it's been great. And c- I mean, congratulations, right? I mean, business is good and that's that's what you can hope for. Yep.
2: Who, who would have thought this time last year if someone told you, you'd be running virtual regattas on, on ERGs, you know? You, you'd have thought someone was absolutely crazy you know that in may or june in the height of the regatta season that you'd be you know yeah uh, but isn't it incredible i've i've be, i've logged in a few times to this erg zoom in in the uk yeah. i don't i don't know who's done it who does this or who organized it but to to be able to to erg with matthew pins and you know um Few of the old Gwynn Batten and you know it, it's fantastic because I was doing yeah. a load here in this wow. cabin I have in the garden and it, it just became too much doing it all by myself so it's uh I, the, the one I did with Matthew um I thought oh that's, I, that's okay that was okay the next day could I walk I was like you know, <laughs> <needing a boat. laughs>
0: I saw that, that that's uh, is that Zoom Ergos? Is that that yeah. one? Yeah. Yep. So I saw they actually had um, uh, Pete Reed on, who we're big fans of Pete Reed uh, of Great Britain, who is a recently injured athlete uh, using, figuring out how to use the erg. It was so great, you know, because that, uh, again, you know, I work in para rowing and uh, we're big fans, but Zoom Urgos is great. And uh, just a rowers dream. We just had them on the episode. They've been a little tiny company in Michigan. They've been doing rowing workouts that Rachel's been uh, part of. And yeah, it's great how everybody's pivoted. You know, I think everybody's had to pivot.
3: Up here in Vermont right now, we're not talking about rowing races. We're talking about skiing races. And we've sort of just gotten permission from the state to hold events competitions for juniors only under 19 and less 25 kids or fewer in any di- given sort of hour. So it's going to mean that our race is going to be like all day long because they're going to have 21 ki- 25 kids at nine o'clock and 25 kids at 10 o'clock you know whatever we'll do the boys in the morning the girls in the afternoon and but the same thing with volunteers usually I have a number of, of older members of our community who love to come out and help and I'm a little bit hesitant to to ask them um yeah
4: for your marathon right you decided to do it like virtually
3: yeah like, marathons yeah. virtual but anytime i think it started january 4th actually i need to do my marathon but um you know you'll you have like a whole month and a half to go out do your marathon use strava whatever um my coaches have done some really wonderful stuff like when the kids couldn't even come here for small groups they did you know, virtual coaching sessions and sent home workouts and, you know, just a lot of creative stuff there's a virtual running group. Um, when we couldn't do a, our sculling camps and our ro- running camps, we had a virtual running camp this past summer. And um, so it, it I, and I do think as, as you guys are saying that we will learn some things from this. We will maybe do things differently going forward maybe gain some efficiencies, I'm gonna to have to make do with a lot fewer volunteers at this ski race this coming weekend. And so I may learn, you know, how to make that happen. I, I know that our timer, who's been doing the timing, he's developed this system where he just drives up in his van and he can basically do it without any volunteers at all. And he's developed that because of the pandemic and that will carry forward and make it easier to do some of these things. We, we have to find the silver linings and make the most of them. <laughs>
1: So each of you have such interesting stories and lives, and we could do an entire episode um, for each of you individually. So nice. we're going to see how much we yeah. can pack into this hour and maybe have another conversation with each of you sometime down the road. So we both just consumed your book. So many great stories. It was a
0: lot of people that we knew, and I'm a big fan of Ursula and Emma Twig, and It was just such a wonderful list of women. And so one of the things that really struck me was your dedication at the beginning. And you dedicated the book to women who fell in love with rowing. And we wanted to ask each of you, when did you fall in love with rowing? And have you ever fallen out of love with
4: it? Like before I was even born, I was probably meant to be a rover because my dad was a rover. And since like little... Since I was little, I was always around boathouse. So I think when, when I was like six years old, I was for the first time in a sculling boat for you know older kids. So I remember pulling the oars like above me because it was so high. And since then, I was just waiting to turn 10, which was like a critical age for us here, that I knew that I could start to row. So like since I remember like ever, I did other sports, but I was just waiting for the magical year 10 to be able to start the role officially.
1: That's younger than anyone I've ever met. Here in the United States, I think most kids get started in maybe grade school, early teenagers. So um, I'm guessing 10 sounds like that's a was m- more standard where you are.
4: Yeah, like we can start to race from the ages of 11, but like 10 is like the prep kind of class for us. And I remember that I had to wear really ugly heavy duty like a life jacket because I was so young and they were afraid that I would tip over and my workout back then was like 2k you know to row 1k upstream turn around and come back and I was just so happy and yet also embarrassed by wearing this you know ugly life jacket that I was like the only one on the river you know wearing it but still I stuck with it what about you Michelle?
2: Well, I I guess for me it, it wasn't in my family, although my uncle rode for Shannon Rowing Club, which is is the picture of the club is there behind me. Um but my my dad grew up on the River Shannon in, in the Foynes estuary, which is where all the flying boats landed um during the war. So I guess water was really significant and he was always out in the water. And then my mom was the one who who brought me um, down to the rowing club the first time. I remember I remember very vaguely being at this regatta because I remembered and it's probably would never happen these days with health and safety. But there was a slippery pole. So there was all these guys going out on this pole to catch this flag at the end of it. And obviously it was covered in grease and they were falling off. So it was like your traditional at home regatta. Um, and, and that's my first memory, but my mom always had happy memories. She grew up in, in Clonmel and had always happy memories of the stream there. The The boat club in Clonmel is actually on an island in the middle of the river and you have to go across a wooden bridge. So it's really beautiful. And she, and she always had such happy memories of us um, that, that I, I guess I was drawn to it from that. But for me, I guess it was you know, all, all, all the boys in Limerick Road were, where I grew up, and, and that that has to be, have been the, the attraction, I think uh, I'll have to to admit to that <laughs> very sheepishly in my latter years, even though I never married a rower, so.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I was introduced to rowing at Smith College, and it was, you know, it was proper rowing for young ladies, you weren't supposed to pull too hard, you know, you you just... you you didn't carry a boat you just stepped from a dock into the boat but it was great I loved it it was brand new it was different I was very comfortable on water and I just really liked it and so I was excited when I transferred to Dartmouth that they had just started a women's program and um, was able to jump right in raced at the head of the Charles in the eighth that first fall which was whatever year that was 73 I think loved it but but I think the time that I really realized that I loved it was when it started to become close to time to graduate, you know, and most of the time you graduate, you grow up, you stop all the things you do in college, you move on in the world, you know, you do real world things, you know, but there was no way I was going to stop rowing. I, I loved it way too much. Um, mornings on the Connecticut river early in my single and the camaraderie of my team. And so, you know, all of a sudden it was just totally clear to me that there was no way I was stopping. So, um, after that, I, Yeah, I kept rowing and I still row. I I don't get to row in the winter very much, except on the erg, but I get to row most all summer up here. So I'd say that was the time, the moment.
1: That's interesting, that time when you have to like make a decision, like I could let this thing go, but it's too important to me. I love it too much. And so you found found a way to stay engaged.
0: Do you remember each of, for each of you, do you remember the first time you sort of felt hooked to it? You're like, this is the moment, whether it was your teammates or a a particular regatta or a race or a a practice, do you
2: remember? Or a coach? I I remember the first time I went out in a boat and I went to to sleep that night and I was going up and down, you know, it was like, like I was swaying. And I remember, I still remember that, but I, I think I was hooked instantly. I absolutely loved it. And actually there was an interview over the weekend of, um, Ad Roach, who, who's who's an activist here in Ireland, and um, you know she's done fantastic work for Ch- Chernobyl and that project, so she's very well known. And she she started rowing back in her 60s, and and she described it like, I, I mean, it's it's like yoga on the water but it has that whole endurance competitive element as well you know whereas the yoga is all about zen and that and i just think it's just escapism isn't it it's just pure escapism because you have to you have to focus so much on the stroke and the concentration and the technique and and then there's the physical element and and the team element and all of it combined it's just it's fantastic i love it and
4: for me it was probably the first year when i could officially start racing because I was 11 years old. And I know in the whole country there were only five girls. So whatever my my club would enter me for a race, there would be like no nobody to race. So my first actual race was the national championships. And I remember going to the start, next to me was like this little girl, you know, we were like really tiny. And I was asking her, hey, what's your name? And how many races you already have done? And she's like, I already done one. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, she is so experienced because she already had a race. And then <laughs> I ended up winning the race, and since it was a national championships, they gave me like this olive kind of brown thing that it, they give to horses. You know, it was oh. like back and yeah. old tradition. Yeah. Yes, how, how you call it? And that was like, oh my god, my first race. I got this, and the tradition in the club was that you are supposed to give it to the club. Uh, you know, for trophy display and my dad told me that you should take the one like olive leaf and like keep it with you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that was the moment that I kept that I won my first race. Do you still have it? Uh, no, no. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm you have, do you that. have a picture of you in the wreath? Yes, I do somewhere. Actually, it's really okay. funny. It's, if you I find
0: actually, it. <laughs> I can send it to you. Okay. It's a good one yeah so it sounds like
4: you were rowing in single oh yeah that's pretty much i had nobody really to row with because i was like really the only girl in the entire you know city of prague at that age yeah yeah and michelle you were
0: were you in a more traditional program with sweet boats or were you also rowing singles
4: yeah no
2: i i'm not a single scholar at all i i I I, I like sculling and I put me in a quad but like get me to the start of a 2000 meter race and I'm like I've no one to talk to I've no one to strategize with I've no one to how did that go or how did the start go on the way up you know yeah no I I get too bored in a single I start talking back to myself and that's not good
0: I'm with you I'm a I was raised as a sweeper and I love sweep. I love the pair is actually my favorite sweep boat, but the eight put me in six seat and I'm a happy girl. I'm happy. Just, just the engine room, <laughs> just head down in row.
2: Yeah. My, my favorite boat is the pair as well, but put, put me in the bow. Yeah. Put me, yeah, I'm a yeah, stroke. Let, me let me give the commands, you know, from the back. <laughs> You're on. They're doing it wrong. <laughs>
0: You're on. When we go to Ireland, we'll go out in the pair. It's my favorite boat.
1: So Michelle, Um, when you, when you learned to row and you joined um, the club, it had just started to allow women in as members. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So I first started to row, there was five clubs in Limerick where I grew up and um, only one of them allowed women. So we, myself and my friend went to that club first and it was, it was, a good bit away from where we lived like it was 40 minute walk and then we heard that shannon rowing club and google it it's a beautiful club it stands on this bridge in limerick Um, we heard that um they were going to take women and uh so we had to train in secret actually and i was only saying it to somebody recently um because um a lake out of town where we used to go out and train and um, we were put in this, do you remember the beautiful wooden Donoraticas? you know, the ones that you'd put, you know, the old Philippi's, you know, they were beautifully made, or maybe I'm just, maybe I'm older than you, maybe <laughs> you've never come, you know, but just your classic wooden, like Carl Douglas, the kind kind of you put your, we you were out in this beautiful Donoratica, and, you know, learned rowing, and it was all hush hush, and the cocks took the slip too sharp, and of course, mounted the slip, and of course, <laughs> half the bow was, you know, hanging off, and Aww. so then um, the guy, the guy who was coaching us, had to go to the committee and say, "Yeah, we've had um, a number of women in the club, and uh, yeah." So then they brought us in on a on a six month trial to see if we'd we'd work out. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently the evening I went to the committee, um, one of the members stood up and they said we couldn't have women in the club because they'd be carrying on behind the curtains with the men. <laughs> and uh, this other member turned around and said, I think we should take those curtains down. Ooh. So.
4: Ooh. <laughs> yeah, So yeah. I have to say, when I talked to Michelle and she told me this, I'm like, I just like really could not believe that. Because I'm like, like, really? What year was that? Was it like 1986, right? 87.
0: 87.
4: 87. And I'm like, <laughs> I like just like could not believe that yeah I, yeah that's
0: i i loved how you you recognized through the book where people were in history in terms of feminism because in terms of gender politics because it was really shocking it was like wait that was only that was less than 50 years ago and
4: yeah. look at where we, i mean now we're just in the me too like really yeah yeah that's wild. The other day, i actually got accused that i'm like too radical and i'm like what do you mean to radical listen I started to row when I was 10 so I'm in the rowing environment for almost 30 years and nothing really changed why do you think it's radical it's just we just have to evolve you know it it was just like shocking that they consider me now like the you know like you know feminist and radicalist and I'm like just like just I how to say like pretty much just like look around you know the world is changing and you're going to evolve and hopefully will you know will help make the you know society better because i think that's the correct way or right way it's just fascinating
2: yeah Yeah. but i don't think any of and i think it's a sad thing i don't think any of us wanted to be feminists or you know trailblazers we just wanted to to row or to be accepted or to be treated the same or, or brought in on something. Like I remember, tra- you know, trialing for, for the Irish team and it was like just a load of, of people went down into, you know, primarily men went down into to a, a, a marquee and just decided, okay, well, who will we pick? Oh yeah, I know his daughter and I know his daughter, you know, and now now it's great to see we have a proper trial process with matrixes and, you know, all of that in place. but. I don't think any of us set out to be. I, I, I'm not a feminist, you know, but I just want equality for women. That that we get things on on our merits, and um, and it's the same with with boards, isn't it? And and gender and know like I've I've just been nominated or to um to the boards of the Olympic Federation, and they had they had a gender quota, and then it's great to see more women than men on the board. And Sarah Keane, our president, has been great with the International Olympic Committee is promoting that. But you want to get on your own merits, not because you're a woman or a man
4: you know i i totally agree all i wanted to do is to have a fair chance as an athlete and when i made the results then i wanted to just be treated equally in terms like funding or opportunities and not the other way around that i was like this you know lightweight girl that nobody really you know cares even though i kept on having results from the international scene they were like yeah well she likes it anyway. So we know that she's going to fund her way no matter what. So we can just focus on these prospects that we think three, five years from now will have a chance, which obviously they never had. They never did. And I just like kept on grinding away. And after like 15 years, you just are tired of it.
1: So this brings us um, actually forward um, a couple of steps, because we wanted to talk to you about rowing in college and coming out of college and your dedication to making the the national team. Um, So could you tell us a little bit about rowing there and then um, your decision to train
4: for the Olympics? Yeah, pretty much it was like 2003. I had a meeting with our then president of Czech Rowing Association and he invited me into his business office and he told me, Daniela, Olympics are like the biggest thing in your life. So I want you to try to qualify for 2004 in a lightweight double. And I said, no, I think education is more important. I had this opportunity to go to United States as a transfer student because I was already 21, I think. So I'm going to go to, to US, I need to learn English and I need to be able to learn or read Milan Kundera. That's our Czech famous writer who escaped to France. I want to read his books in English because he doesn't publish in Czech. And he's like, oh, that's a shame. And I pretty much closed my door to the national team because I said no to the most powerful man in Czech rowing, who is now head of the Olympic committee. So they had that against me, but I just needed to get out of the system and learn what's, what's out there. Because I felt that we are still, you know, 20, we are still, you know, 2003, 2004. We are still, you know, super post communistic country with no innovation. Nothing was happening. I just felt that we just don't train correctly. We don't have the correct equipment. So I just went for the experience, and it. I think it changed my life. I definitely had my American dream that then formed the rest of to where I am pretty much now. So I pretty much I thought at that point I'm done with rowing at the international level because they back then they did not allow. U.S. you know uh, international students to go back to the national team but fortunately I was the only one so again I just I came back and 10 days later I actually raced third world cup in Lucerne and so from eight to a single lightweight single was like oh my god it was it was terrible I ended up in final b but it was okay (laughs) but three weeks later I think I won the under 23s so it was like it was like the best year I had it was in 2004 when I rode the eight, and then I won the lightweight single. So I'm like, wow, this is great.
0: Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network, and on Twitter at Steady State Row. You can sign up for our weekly e-newsletter on our website too.
1: And we're back with Daniela Nachezlova, Michelle Carpenter and Judy Gear. What's the thread that kept you going
0: throughout? You've gotten that hooked, you've gotten the fall and the love. You know, what is it that has made rowing a, a just a longevity? Like it's just part of your your DNA,
4: right? Yeah, I guess for me it was like I was too small, I was too light, so I just wanted to show that, you know, I can be actually like good at something and I probably had the technical feel for it, just was lacking the strength. So I just trying to see where you know my ceiling is how far I can push it really and then along the way see if I can find like a double partner and try to go for the Olympics either 2004 and then then 2012 or 2016 so it's just like to see where where's my ceiling pretty much yeah, with that, and then along the way it started to be more and more not only about the performance, but also about, I guess, the philosophy of life, you know, what, what you, what, what rowing can teach you about yourself, how you can, certain values that you learn can actually then apply into your real life and then move on.
2: Yeah. And I guess for me, well, I, I didn't row to as high a level as Daniela. I, I, I look at our high performance athletes today and I look at the opportunities that they have. And it's it's not just because I'm I'm CEO of Rowing Ireland, but I, I do look at the opportunities they have, like a national rowing centre, proper proper high performance program, you know, and I think wow, I wonder I wonder if I was 22, 23 today, would I would I still be involved? I just got tired of like we were the start of of women's rowing in Ireland, you know, really international and competitive. I think the year after they sent a crew to Lucerne, or two years after. But you know, for me, it it was just the love of the sport, you know, and 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 that's why I think I'm in this role just to constantly make it better. But when I went to Europe, um, back in '95, um, until 2002 like we used, I used to still, I was a bit of a groupie or a got a groupie, you know, I used to go down to Lucerne. And you know, the first time I was in Lucerne, I was like, wow, this is Lucerne. I've heard about this for, for so long from, you know, and Tony O'Connor would have me and Shannon and, and Neville Maxwell. And we were a small group of people, Neville and Neil O'Toole and all of that group. So it was just lovely just to see them and, and to see their success as well and follow them around. But I think, and I think that's where, you know, I really saw what we could bring to rowing with the Get Going, Get Rowing program. What you can bring to people with the love of the sport, and what you know, you're so schools are so focused in Ireland on the traditional sports, the 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 football, the hurling, which is an Irish sport, the rugby. The you know, kids don't you know, and coming up to Rio before the O'Donovan brothers girls didn't know the difference between a rowing boat and a canoe you know and as we know it's as different as football is to basketball you know and so um it's I guess for me it's just the the passion of the sport and and being part of that greater rowing family that we're all part of all over the world
0: yeah that's brought you to be in this position of leadership with uh, rowing Ireland and is rowing Ireland essentially the equivalent of U.S. rowing?
2: You've got a great new CEO there, a, a woman as well. So yes, Amanda Krause. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so rowing Ireland is the national governing body for rowing in Ireland. Yeah, and and again, when, when, I, when I was in school and I left school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was be involved in rowing. So I thought, oh, I'll be a PE teacher and a physical education teacher. And, um, I got, I got the grades, but I didn't get the interview because again, it was all the people from the bigger sports. Now I would have actually made a terrible teacher really. So I'm so glad I, I didn't get it. But, um, but at that stage, there was no opportunity to be involved in sports science. There was no certain, well, still difficult as a woman to be involved in coaching, you know? So, um, it's funny the way the paths have turned and I've I've ended up doing what what I always
4: wanted to do, to work in rowing. I think Michelle just does an incredible job, like for me, you know, because like if I would like to run somewhere down the future, you know, for being the president of Czech Rowing Association, Michelle would be the one I would definitely go to, you know, for if I would need some, if I'll have some questions or like how to deal with certain things. She's my role model. I am proud to say Uh that. Oh, I'm
2: honoured. I'm honoured. Oh. And look, I think think that's where the rowing family is really important because I've had so much help and support from people in this book, many people in this book. <clears throat> that I wouldn't be where I was today without them. I mean, I I always talk about the the seminar that that um, FISA sent me on in in 2017 um, in Switzerland with Daniela Muller, this International Olympic Committee, and it was it was Sheila and Daniela Gomez. That, uh, that asked me to go on it and and my husband said I came back from that a different woman I don't know where I left the other one but
1: uh, but I hope I hope this one is better than the one I left in Lausanne <laughs> what did you come back with that that changed you
2: I think the belief in in oneself that I could do it and that there was never a right time to do nothing is ever perfect you know you go up to the start of a regatta and you'll always think oh god I I still dip my hands at the catch I never managed to get you know there's always something wrong you know that's never perfect and it certainly wasn't perfect timing for me my dad had only died three or four months earlier and we were desperately close and so I think it was that innate belief in myself that that I could do it Um, yeah wow
0: Steady State is made possible by our support from our Patreon community.
1: Thanks to Grace, Jen, Patricia, Lisa, Kelly, and Nick. Steady State Network is a media group bringing together real-life rower experiences through podcast conversations, website musings, and a curated magazine. Join us as a patron, writer, artist, podcast guest, and fan. It's rowing for the rest of us.
0: Are there regattas, respectively, for the three of you that you really wish had happened? Like, which ones are the big ones that were the big loss? I know for us, it's the head of the Charles and and other ones. But what's a big regatta for your location that you really missed?
3: I mean, for me, it was also the head of the Charles, and I participated in the virtual head of the Charles, which I thought was cool because in a way it provides access to that many more people. You know, you just need an you don't have to travel to Boston. You know, you, you can participate in the head of the Charles. I really sort of wonder if some element of virtualness will be continued going forward, not to totally replace the on water regatta, but um, to, to, to provide access to more people. I, I think it's an interesting idea.
1: And I think that people appreciate it. We talked to some folks from Halifax, Nova Scotia um, and they love that notion that they could also participate at the head of the Charles, which is an event they never would have driven to participate in. Yeah,
3: um,
1: yeah. I think that clubs who step up to host their own virtual events are, are being pretty smart <laughs> um, and that more yeah. folks should should be uh, attempting their own. It's a big challenge, but a great opportunity right now.
2: didn't have any as in Ireland at all last year. It was absolutely decimated. And... Um, we kept hoping we could get up to the, the 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 numbers were 200 for a certain level and then 500 and we kept saying okay if we get to the 500 we can do we can do the Irish Championships and we just never got to the 500 but I guess for me as an organization you know I mean. We, we came from Linz with, with good results and, and it was just like, okay, just let's get to Tokyo, just let's get to Tokyo. Let's, you know, on the bad days, my friends used to say to me, just get to Tokyo, you know. So we're yeah. when the Olympics, it was just so, it, yeah, it was devastating, I think, for us all. And it just feels like Groundhog Day, doing it all again. Like we've already been here. Um, and actually we have a CEO group and someone sent a, an email around the other day asking just for a mundane question and everyone was like, oh gosh, it's just so nice to be able to ask, you know, a question about HR or finance as opposed to COVID, 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 you know, what do you do with these protocols and what do you do with that? So, um, mm-hmm. but I think it'll make us, yeah, it'll make us appreciate really more, you know, those those chats we have on the bank of the river during regattas, you know, miss miss all all the friends domestically and internationally meeting people at, at all the international scene and and yeah meeting meeting all the crews as uh at domestic as well it's just uh... great right, because
1: we we love rowing we we want to race we love racing but regattas are long days and long weekends and we talk about how great it is that you're just hanging out with your friends it's all camp. day it's so you year. have to get in a boat so we're very curious about um, where the idea of your book came from and how it came to be.
4: You've also talked about wanting to change the narrative. Yeah, pretty much like I somewhere there at, at the end, I wrote about it that I got to this summer school of journalism and they were like, well, you should, you know, you have about 15 minutes to think what would be your theme that you would like to cover up or learn more. And I'm like, yeah, well, my theme is that Tokyo 2020 for rowing will be should be like gender equal. Yet the media just doesn't even reflect that, and I started to dig more about it. And then during the week of the, of the, of the camp, let's say, I kept on asking the journalists there. So why you are not covering more of this? You know, of this, like for example, female volleyball. You know, team from this town. Oh, and usually the answer was like, well, nobody would be interested. I'm like, well, that's not true. You know, because the data already shows that. So. And I was like having these kind of arguments with them and I'm like, and they are the professionals, you know, they are the professional media. And I'm like, if they are not even seeing it as a story or something like that, it, like the theme is out there. So well, then it's up to me. So I like always the funny thing is first, I thought I would write it in Czech because that's my language. And then I thought, well, but that would be probably too early for where I am from because nobody would read it or like I said, it would call me feminist and radicalist and whatever. So I'm like, well, there is like another challenge that I have to bring it to that I have to write it in English. <laughs> so that's yeah, to give it like a word. Because like I think really like West from us, like where we are, you know, Czech Republic, we are kind of like the border between the East and West, you know, of the you know the world. And I think that, you know, I'm aiming for the West right now. Hopefully help, hopefully being able to influence somebody from here because right now for last year we've been coaching a lightweight dumber from Latvia and I thought that Czech rowing has some issues and Latvian rowing has like issues on let's say different level they're like really close to former you know Soviet Union and it's definitely interesting how the culture is not there yet so like what the girls have to come for obstacles that's even unimaginable for myself to from where I came from. That's definitely fascinating. Well, yeah. I found out about you
0: because of the the
4: uh, really stark, beautiful image of Judy
0: uh, rowing. There, it, for some reason, it, it came into my Instagram feed, and I thought, "Who's that? <laughs> like, what is this? What is this?" And and just knowing Rachel and I's really strong interest in it, we had you on our list for a long time. Uh, of someone to interview. And and then for Michelle and Judy,
4: we want to know how you all came together and how you all met. Well, for example, COVID is an interesting one because for example, I never met Michelle in person. You know, so like we like hadn't met yet. I know Judy for a long time, but, and I think that Judy and Michelle never met, right? You guys, this is the first time.
2: Yeah. I just think the whole the whole concept that daniela has come up with is really incredible you know all these people who you know we've all heard of you know judy trisha smith anna marie phelps yakamina you know emma twig and generations apart all of us and but all involved with the same sports with 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 all the same loves and and to bring that all you know together in a book is just to have that whole concept i mean i i eat rowing books normally i have read everything you know i've, I've read books on, on the first olympic women's crew you know kathleen granger's book so many books but to bring it all together it's just you know and then to bring the hurdles that women overcome in sport, and 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 even though there's generations different, they've all been the same hurdles along the way, and and to to dovetail all of that, knit it all together, it's just. And and then the photography is absolutely stunning. Yes, using my own picture that my husband took. So uh, beautiful. Yeah. What's what's the name of the photographer who did your your photography?
4: Oh, like for Judy Devos. Uh... One of our athletes. It, yeah, it, that's uh, from Cresberry. Forbes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because because the whole idea was that somewhere during the year when I was supposed to interview them in person, I would have this Andre guy from Czech Republic taking also these lovely pictures, but obviously that didn't happen. So then we just improvised, and he gave he gave me like a file of like 200 pictures, and then I kind of tried to come up with you know, each interview had its own theme. Like for example, Jacqueline, she's like a referee. So then he's got some pictures of referees, some kind of like behind the scenes. So then I kind of tried to put it together. So hopefully there'll be a second edition where we would be able to add into the book, the official, you know, portraits of each of the person. And then the best one about the whole process was that I had my, what I would call like my wish list, my dream team that I wrote down at the beginning, beginning who I would like to interview. And everybody said yes, or just was willing to talk to me. And I felt like, oh my God, this is this is to me, that's the most incredible thing that, I don't know, I was talking to somebody about it that pretty much I didn't need to go through managers, you no know, like PR team, I didn't need to have like an approval. I just asked somebody, for example, like Sheila, hey, what do you think about this person? Oh, she would be amazing. He's, you know, here's her contact, you know, like refer to me and then there would be, it just like happened naturally. So I think that this theme was just like waiting to be done really. And then also since since I come from Rowling, not I'm not a really a journalist, the, the willingness to tell me like in depth, certain things was just incredible. You know, that's kind of how, where like the book started to form its own theme without really me trying to push at the beginning I didn't have on my agenda, this is what I want to talk about. I just wanted to share stories because I thought that each of them is just incredibly unique. And then there was like this, and it slowly, it came like this underlying narrative that I'm like, wow, this is fascinating. This like needs to be be written pretty much.
1: So Tara and I were talking about this and she pointed out a theme that stood out to her was the idea of women leading the way as uh, coaches of the whole athlete. And um, I'm assuming, Daniela, you saw that as well.
4: Yep, yep, definitely. Like, there was somebody was asking me, what was my criteria? And I'm like, it's not only that you have, you know, like a giant list of, you know, medals or achievements, but there is some kind of, like for example, Emma Twig, you know, she stepped out of the sport because she wanted to do something else even though she had to fight the Federation and then she came back because that's what she decided to do. And that's just been like, you know, the narrative that like, you know, being like a three times Olympic champion is wonderful, but what does it tell you about you as a person if you don't, you know, share it beyond your personal achievements? So that was my big thing. And I would say probably why I did that is that, for example, in Czech Republic, we have Mirka Knapkova, Olympic champion, and that's it. So people were asking me why Mirka is not there. I'm like, because there's nothing really beyond that to tell, which is, you know, kind of bummer, because just not everybody has that, I guess. And I know that, it, just a riff off of that, that each of you have had
0: experiences being coached and coaching athletes and in Judy's case, you know, maybe coaching the skiing and and things, but the, the concept of women being better suited to coach holistically and see athletes as a whole person and set that standard when that, that was a theme I thought came out of the book. I don't know if any of you could speak to that.
3: Well, I, I, I can speak to it a little bit just at, at Craftsbury. Our head um, Olympic development ski coach is a woman, and our head junior coach is a woman, and her, her assistant is a woman. You know, it's just that sort of happened. They were wonderful applicants and or people that we already had here who were a big part of Craftsbury. So it was one of those things that I almost didn't even notice until I stopped and looked back at it and said, wow, we have so many wonderful women coaches here. And, and that's really cool because all of these kids, hundreds up here in our area are going to grow up knowing that women can coach just as well as men and probably better. They're also definitely coaches of the whole person. So it's, and I love that they get that that's their responsibility. You know, I I love that they make a point of punctuality and expectations and doing your work and hanging out and communicating and answering the questions from the coach, just all that stuff, you know? And I know that the parents here are loving it too, you know, so it's this wonderful sort of, it's a very holistic thing. And I know that when I was coaching at Dartmouth, um, I, I remember a young woman coming to me and saying, well, my parents say I have to quit rowing because my grades aren't as good as they should be or something like that. And I just thought, oh, come on, that's just the worst thing. You learn so much from sport, from being on a team, from working with other people, from being true to them and showing up at practice. My own kids told me that they did much better on their coursework and getting it done when they were on the ski team and had to show up to practices. You know, (laughs) but I I think there's still people who don't, We don't get that, but I, I really think sport has so much to offer in so many ways. And so I feel really lucky that my two jobs right now allow me to be helping people find sport, you know? And yeah, especially girls.
1: Mm-hmm. like yeah, it, we, we also
3: have we have a lot of olympians around the outdoor center here whether it's old olympians um like me or or some pretty current olympians um kids who have done it in the last couple olympics and they're just normal people around the center and they help coach the juniors and they're like friends with everybody and you know i mean it's just like this is normal and they're real people and i can have this dream too and interestingly they're mostly women <laughs> too you know so it, it's just a wonderful I think it's a wonderful thing going on right now.
1: Yeah, so to what you are just saying and what Daniela was talking about before in terms of um, the experience um, approaching people uh, that you'd like to talk to for the book, um, you know, over the years, I've been involved with rowing for about 20 years. I came in as a master's rower, as a young rower. I was about 21, 22 when I learned to row. I mean, I didn't know anything about the sport. I just like hopped in and over the years came to learn more about the sport, but there was definitely a time, a period of time where I felt like there's no way that I can get myself into a conversation with this person or this person or this national team or because I just don't know enough. And then I'd been involved for about 10 years. I had, you know, A lot of rowing experience, uh, coxing the head of the Charles. I was at a party with some national team rowers and some other folks. And I was like, I'm not sure if I belong here. And then it was one thing after another where I just realized, just start asking questions. (laughs) Just allow yourself to open the door, ask questions, start networking. And that just changed my life. Life right then so I'm really glad to hear Daniela that you felt the same way you had this experience where you said I don't know if this is going to happen but I'm going to try and and I think what it comes down to it is we are all just people no matter what you've achieved in your rowing careers and lives we are people that are good people that want to talk about rowing and it's excellent that so many people opened up to you for your book
4: yeah definitely
3: yeah. Well, I was just going to add a little yeah. thing to that that one of the things I yeah. like that happens at Craftsbury is is that we have our sculling camps, well, in a normal year, hopefully, again, we'll be able to sometime have sculling camps. But So we have a lot of people of all levels and all ages learning to row. We have our Olympic development group who are trying to make the Olympics. We have juniors and, and everybody sort of gets to talk and intermingle and you're sitting around the same dinner table, you know? It's, so it, it's just trying to be really comfortable, all levels of sport, appreciating each other, you know, and learning from each other. and.
4: Yeah, and on that theme, I would add that definitely Cresbury helped me to form me as like who I am because I got there as like, you know, this hot shot, the under 23 world champion, thinking that I knew it all. And obviously I didn't. So the most I learned about my rowing was through coaching somebody else, because suddenly I had to connect, had to explain, had to understand what works. And then it then helped me back to, you know, understand really deeply in... You know what the sport is all about and then what makes the boat you know go faster so that was that was definitely formative years i had when i was coaching you know 30 40 people a week and then you know next week there will be somebody else and then you still have to you know connect them pretty much in five days trying to learn you know you know trying to teach them as much as you can because then they will go back and you know for a year they'll be alone so it was really intense on their part and also on my part of like how it really sped up, let's say my rowing education was like wonderful. And I, I just like can't believe that you know nobody else is really doing it like this because it's just really effective way of doing it. I attended
1: the US Rowing Convention uh, a few weeks ago, a month ago now. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I saw presented there that was very interesting to me was a, a look at how coaches, how coaches learn, where they get their information from. And a very small percentage said, I get my coaching education from coaching conferences. Some of them said from reading, but something like 90 some odd percent said I get uh, education or I learn about coaching from coaching or from other coaches while coaching. And, um, I think that's huge. I mean, there's a whole other discussion to be had about that, about coaches coming in and making sure, uh, maybe at the club level, that there's like a mentorship happens. Because I think oftentimes new coaches come in and they're just told, "Okay, here's your program. Right? Trial
0: by fire. Here's yeah. the key, here's the keys to the launch boat. Have, yeah. have a nice time." <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and you know, yeah. as part of the Get Going, Get Rowing program, we have a, a year in Ireland where you, you finish one set of exams, so you have a, a transition year, they call it, and you do lots of experience, uh, work experience during um, this transition year. In fact, my daughter is applying for college at the minute in, in Holland, and she she actually reflects on what she did in transition year, but we, we devised a coaching program for these 16, 17-year-old girls. And it, it's funny what you said about learning so much more about rowing from coaching. So so they learn all the principles of coaching, you know, the idea principle and how to communicate and, you know, teaching through doing it, not by, you know, showing it and all of that. And it's amazing at the end of it. And, and they do lots of camps and learning to row. And they get uh, always, every single year, they say, I learned so much what my coach gives to me. And I learned so much more about rowing from this. And, and I think it's it's something we've never looked at before. And it has so many different facets because it's also teaching, because we've a whole women in coaching. Um we've we've a women in sport lead who, who focuses, Claire Lamb, who focuses on women in coaching. Um so it has that facet as well. But I think it it just brings so many different levels. Um and I think that's like when I was rowing. There was never really the opportunity to say you know you can coach michelle if you want to um, mm. so yeah, i think it's really really important
0: and i so think I- it, it opens up the door to in, this issue that's been uh really interesting all year long this inclusion uh challenge that's been put to the rowing world and uh, well everywhere essentially and opening that door for coaches and saying, Oh, well, you know, you could try it or pulling non-traditional coaches uh, in from other things. And I think one person in your book mentioned, you don't have to be a rower to be a good rowing coach. You know, it's helpful, but if you're a good coach and you are a good communicator and you're uh, looking at the whole athlete, that's, those are skills that can be developed uh, in any sport really.
1: So I just want to put in a little plug because I think it was somewhere in the book, someone mentioned um, or was wondering if there is uh, an association for women rowing coaches. And I had never yeah. heard of one. Have any of you?
4: Yeah, it was that's what we talked with Judy. And she said yeah. that her skiing coaches put together one. And I was like, well, maybe we should start one for rowing coaches. So Judy, yeah. maybe we should, yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know that one exists has anybody looked into it
1: so i i've looked into it and i was really frustrated that there wasn't one and um last year i started a facebook group called the alliance of women rowing coaches so i hope you'll check it out and uh, maybe we can have a follow-up conversation about this because i think it would be really fantastic to be involved in developing um something for women
0: rowing coaches absolutely and I'm trying, I, I have a new initiative with Seize Your Foundation, which I founded where we're actually doing a pipeline development program for developing new adaptive rowing coaches because the pipeline is so anemic that, and we also want the para-athletes to become coaches. It, it's, it, I think there's going to be some great stuff coming out of this year, but a women's coaching network. Yes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, and I, I think it, Uh, It would be good to link in with what Claire Lam is doing here, actually, because she's got women in coaching networks all around Ireland. So they in their little groups. And unfortunately, they've only got to meet physically once, but they've been meeting virtually and, you know, becoming mentors and and sponsors for each other. And and it'd be great to to link that in with the whole international
1: scene of, of female coaches.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Woo!
1: Let's do it. All right, so Tara, I know that we could we could talk with these ladies all day. We really, really could. This has been excellent. But um, we want to respect your time. And Tara, you want to go ahead and wrap up the way we normally do? We
0: end every show by doing a rapid fire. We're going to ask each of you some questions.
4: All right, Daniela, port or starboard? <laughs> uh, I always need my boyfriend because... I have to hold the oar in the right hand, and now you tell me if it's a port or starboard, because I'm terrible at the naval stuff, OK? I'm the stroke. I'll tell you I'm the stroke. Stroke side. OK. Stroke side. Uh,
0: Michelle,
2: bow seat or stroke seat? Oh, bow. First across the line.
1: Come on. Yes, that's my <laughs> thought, too. Absolutely. Uh, Ju- oh, so, Rachel? Uh, Judy, salt water or fresh water for rowing? Fresh water.
3: Is my personal experience
1: and for all of you uh head race or sprint race head race head race
2: sprint <laughs>
3: <laughs> i'm not a sprinter <laughs> yeah
4: same with me although yeah, at just...
3: my age
2: maybe a head race is better these days <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well michelle the follow-up to that is 1k or 2k oh.
2: I, I raced in the Irish Championships a few years ago and I was so delighted. It's only a thousand meters for masters because, yeah. oh my God, when I got to 500, it was like, oh. That's a barn burner. That's a barn burner for sure. Yeah.
3: But when um, I was rowing internationally, it was still a thousand for women because we couldn't possibly row as far as the men. Right. <laughs> what year did that change? Right after I retired after 84 and then it changed.
0: 84? Yeah. <laughs> No.
1: Yeah, you know,
3: our ovaries might fall out. It would have been awful. <laughs> you might get hysterical.
1: Because yes, right. it's not,
2: it's not like we've ever experienced anything like childbirth or anything. Now is it <laughs> right?
0: Right. And and I love seeing you know we're in the home of Pocock out here in Seattle, and I love this picture of Lucy Pocock uh in a coxed single. Huh. Really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just like just sit on that for a second. Cox single. Really? Okay. Uh, Judy, favorite. So we're asking you you of this because we know you were uh, at the 76 Olympics. Favorite coxswain command to give or receive?
3: Oh, goodness. Haven't rode in coxed boats for a while. That's a tough one. Uh, Dick says it's not. What's your favorite coxswain command? Yeah, Dick, what's your favorite yeah. topic command? Oh, oh, he likes to hear that they're passing people. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. He likes <laughs> He likes updates, okay. <laughs> yeah, he likes updates, positive updates. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I guess that's good. I mean, but then there's always like, is it the truth? You know, like, <laughs> you gotta know that it's the truth. You know? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I also sometimes enjoy close your eyes and just like feel the boat and, you know. Two years ago at the Head of the Charles, our... Sound system died. It just died, and so I, I row an eight with a bunch of other athletes from 1980, and and a lot of us are scholars. And and honestly, we're used to having a quiet boat. We have all, we have that commentary in our head, and so although I missed the the coxswain, some of the things that she would have called near the end of the race, we all knew what to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: I love watching the 1980 team. You guys are one of my favorites to see go yeah, by. And
3: I have to say that we had a Zoom Sunday afternoon with each okay. other because usually one of the highlights of the weekend is going out and having coffee together after our practice or our yeah. race. And so <laughs> it was great.
1: So I'm just curious because, Michelle, when we asked this question about the Coxon Command, you reacted like you had an answer. So, <laughs> your favorite Coxon Command to give or receive, Michelle? Um, I love nudge at their bow oh
4: what's that Mm
2: -hmm. yeah you know when you're putting your boat in or you're lining it up for a start and you just need to take a little nudge you know not not quite a full stroke just but but I I was laughing as well when Dick said you know how far you're ahead or where you're going through because I remember in very early days of junior um we were there was a boat trying to go through us you know and the cox on the other boat was was saying you know come on I have their bow I want their bow and and then he said come on I have their two and the girl in two said you're not getting me <laughs> <laughs> excellent <laughs> my friend Joan so uh that always uh, reminds me of going going through a
1: boat but uh, yeah. yeah
2: I like I like nudging thereabouts kind of mm-hmm. aim isn't
1: it <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, this is a really important one. Daniela, unisuit or tank and trout?
4: <sighs> unisuit.
1: Yeah. yeah. I feel powerful. Yeah. And yeah. you you probably
0: look like a superhero, you know. It. You can...
4: I like the ones like with the, you know, with the thin, like when it's like really summer that you just have like a really thin the straps The spaghetti, the really spaghetti, spaghetti
0: straps. Yeah. yeah. The ones that look like bathing suits. I like those. Yeah.
4: that's my favorite one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree. Okay. And then the last question, coffee before or after a row or workout? So if you're a morning workout person, coffee before or after?
4: I can have it all the time. Yeah. Before, after. Yeah. It just has to be like, like before 4 p.m., Because then it would be like too late and I would have a hard time to fall asleep. So I can have like three, four coffees a day. Yeah, wow. Kind of addicted to that. (laughs) That's what I actually learned in States. Till then, I didn't really drink coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle? Are you a coffee person?
2: Yeah. We we got a coffee machine, a barista machine for Christmas. And uh, after, yeah. Yeah.
3: Judy? Yep, generally after, it's just like roll out of bed and go down to the lake and get out on the water and then have the coffee afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I roll by myself. And so I don't have that option, but that's where it's always quite special when we go to the head of the Charles and we go have coffee with our boat after the row. Yeah, Mm
4: -hmm. definitely at Cresbury, it's a tradition to have it before. If you want to be able to have a good row at 6 o'clock in the morning, you (laughs) have to really wake up. For 5 30, their amazing coffee that they have there, and then after that, you will start with second breakfast that you will start with coffee. So, obviously, yeah, <laughs> I think that's yeah. where I learned that actually.
0: We miss it. So, Rachel and I have been doing these coffee chats on Fridays and talking about everything. So, you should join us, it's really fun. It's nine o'clock this exact time, you know. Uh, okay. uh it's
1: really fun. Um, just a chit chat. And- the only thing
2: oh, is, no. that's, hap- that's happy hour for Daniela and myself, isn't Yay. it? Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, well, this has been really fantastic. Thank you all three of you for making time in your days where you are and- Thank you so much. This has been really fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, well, thank you all. And hopefully uh, we'll be in touch, well, not hopefully, we will be in touch with you soon. All right, thank you. Bye.
5: Great to meet you all. You too,
0: take
1: care. It's time to check it down and finish up this episode like we always do. Each week, listeners share the best rowing-related things that happen to them.
5: Let's hear from a few folks. It's Stephen Dowd in London. Uh, I'm the founder of Enduro Challenge, the world's biggest fully inclusive indoor rowing event for charity, happening on February the 6th. Um, The best part of my rowing week actually comes from the fact that in setting up the challenge from a base of zero rowing experience has been interesting over the last three months. And I've been fully focused on trying to set up a four hour row for everyone everywhere to pull together. Um, But I got a call from the Power Rowing Foundation, uh, Marilyn Koblen, who suggested I should get involved with the Rower's Choice Global Challenge never been involved in a uh, competition before so I got on the ERG and I managed to put in a qualifier for that particular competition. Um, It was a 750 meter sprint I was absolutely on my backside by the time I'd finished it. It was the first time I'd ever done that distance at that level of speed um, and also entered a competition at the same time. So, yeah, a real highlight for me in the week. Uh, And just for those that are interested, I managed to pull, as a para rower PR3, uh, I managed to pull at three minutes and two seconds, uh, which I don't even know if that's any good or not. But we'll find out soon enough. Uh, But it was certainly a highlight of my rowing week. So thank you.
2: Hey, the best part of my rowing week. I'm Rebecca Caro, and this week, I've come back on the water after being on holiday for 10 days, and me and my doubles partner, who haven't rowed together obviously for a while, had our first outing. A Little bit rough to begin with, and then we just totally got into the groove, and we did four four-minute pieces, and on the very last bit of the paddle home, We really started aligning our forces so that the splits just started dropping and dropping and dropping, and we were trying to work out whether it was better to be more front-end loaded or to have more power in the mid part of the stroke, and we got our answer. So that was my rowing week.
0: Hey there, Spuddy State Network. Uh, My name is Katie. Uh, I've... Coach for a lot of DC and NOVA teams in the area, uh, most recently DC Strokes, but previously coached for Oakton High School crew team. Uh, honestly, the best part of my rowing week has been keeping in touch with my other uh, coaching colleagues. You know, when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you can't really have that camaraderie in person, it's really nice being able to have those relationships even off the water, even virtually, even over Zoom. Or Instagram, or
1: whatever. Anyways, um, I think this is really cool, and I hope you all are doing well. Don't forget, you can add your voice to this segment. Just record your own voice on your phone to share the best part of your rowing week. Send the audio to us anytime at bestpart@steadystatenetwork.com. Tara and I are just two rower entrepreneurs making it happen. Your support enables us to continue creating the content that you enjoy so much. Become a patron at steadystatenetwork.com/patreon. Thanks to our newest patron, Nick Fradkin of Seattle, Washington. Hey team, that's it for today. For show notes, links,
0: extras, bonus content, and to join our Patreon community, visit steadystatenetwork.com.
1: Into let it run. That's one, two. Let it run.
0: On this week's episode, we're talking with Daniela Nachazlova. Ah,
4: I almost did it right. (laughs) Can you say it for us? Nachazlova is the American pronunciation. Nachazlova is my original one. Nacha. We knew it was Nacha, but I didn't know about the other Z. Okay.
0: Nacha I'm gonna say it with my eyes closed. On this week's episode, we're talking with Daniela Nakaz. Oh on this week's episode, we're talking with Daniela Nakal Oh Nakazalova. Oh! Nakhaz- <laughs> 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 what did you say the American pronunciation was?
4: <laughs> Nacho
0: Nachal- 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 Zalova. Nachal Nacho Oh my yeah, god.
4: Can- Alright, Rachel, yeah. you have to do it. On this week's
1: episode, we're talking with Denet. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it doesn't normally go this badly. We're going we're going to start <laughs> over. <laughs> you know, we should just have her say it.
0: Yeah, why do not you just
3: say it?